Welcome to the Yogi MD podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Today, our guest is ACE Master Trainer, Dr. Diane McCaughey, who specializes in keeping older adults active. She has a PhD in gerontology, which is the study of aging, and she is here to discuss scientifically proven fun and simple exercise strategies to reduce cognitive decline. Who doesn't want to improve her memory? Good morning, Diane. How are you today? Good morning. I'm well, thank you. I'm excited about being on your podcast this morning. So thanks for asking me. And I am so pleased to have you. Thank you. Thank you. We can all benefit from your experience. Um, You've been a professional trainer for many years. Yes, since 1989 and in the educational world since like the early 90s for, you know, doing master trainer work and teaching at big conferences. Can you tell us more about that and how you've managed to stay on the path and, and what you've seen in your experience over the years? Oh, my goodness. You know, certainly when I started, it was all Jane Fonda and Arnold and, you know, just lots of stuff that people were getting hurt. It was too much. And finally, after the injury started happening, I remember when Jen Miller brought the step out and it was really designed for knee rehab. But within six months, it was four risers and flying over the top and doing all this craziness. So, you know, it was all harder, faster, more. And finally, Sadly, because I'm a very competitive person with a small frame, I've had three knee surgeries, a hip replacement, a hernia repair. Mm. Um, I was a martial artist for years. I've had multiple concussions, several knockouts. Uh, Probably not the best thing for the human body. So I learned at a very young age that, hey, we need to think about how to do this better. Do it more scientifically and do it for the betterment of the body. So I also got into a lot of behavior change. What drives people? I had a very hard childhood, a lot of low self-esteem, and it drove me to be an overachiever and a competitor, which is not Mm. also good. Mm. So it really is all aspects of aging and getting my gerontology, the PhD. uh, I lost my parents at an early age. Um, I came from a dysfunctional family. I wanted to know how do we age well and how do we age and be happy and successful? Thank you for sharing that. You're so welcome. So I'm not only the teacher, I'm a student. To be able to stay humble and to always have the desire to keep learning and never think that you know everything, that is such an important mindset to have in order to best serve yourself and the people around you. You're right. Because as we teach in the behavior change and even you know looking at cognitive impairment, The client is their own best doctor. Maybe they don't know how to listen to the body. The body never lies. I always say it's our minds that are a little messed up. So it's really understanding psychology 101 as well. Why do we act how we do? What's right? What's wrong? What's real? What's not? So why do you think, before we get into our main discussion today, talking about exercising and specific exercises to help reduce cognitive decline, why do you think that we are, as a society, ready now versus what you referenced in the beginning when it was very hard and fast aerobics, and if you weren't performing at 100%, 
then you weren't doing anything that was worthwhile. Why do you think we're ready now to slow down? I think, like I said, you know, sort of we have to watch the wheel turn and see where the defects are and and how to fix the wheel. And because we found that we were starting to have a lot more injuries from these workouts. Now, just like diets that recircle back every 20 to 30 years, different doctor, different cover, different title. So does exercise. So I won't name any specific exercise programs, but there are exercise programs out there that still have that mentality, which Most we definitely. find send people to physical therapy all the time. Mm. I think some of your physical therapists and your doctors and you know your PhDs were all getting on board and saying, hey guys, we need to look at the science behind the movement and why we're doing stuff. And we look at what we call a, a risk benefit ratio. What kind of risk does this put our body in and how much benefit are we going to get out of it? So you have two tracks in our fitness world. And sometimes I'm very saddened by my industry because you either go with the fads and the new equipment Mm -hmm. and the funk and everything, Mm -hmm. or you Mm -hmm. actually go with science and what's actually going to be better for you. And specificity, Mm -hmm. as in the cognition, we have new guidelines, everything specific as it should be for our human body. So we must do what's best for us, not what's faddish. It's important to learn to work smarter and not harder. Yes, ma'am. So getting into the meat of what we're going to talk about today, what are the stages of pathological cognitive decline? Yeah, so basically we know that as we age, we're going to have a normal cognitive decline. I'm sure even you have walked into a room and said, hey, what am I doing in here? (laughs) Yes. So yeah, hello. We all have. And then we were like, "Uh uh-oh, is something wrong with me? So a lot of that is natural. People are afraid sometimes to go to the doctor and to have their cognition checked. I think as we get to a certain age, and I would say probably in our 60s, definitely in our 70s, we need to go and and have some evaluations, even if the doctor is giving you some words to remember and then he circles back. And there's lots and lots of new things out there. So there is a form of cognitive decline as we age that is normal. The key is it shouldn't be super sharp and our daily activities and our functional capacity should not change. So some of it comes from disease, uh, Parkinson's disease and, and other issues. Of course, you know, we have the term dementia. What is that? That's an umbrella term that talks about more severe cognitive impairment than natural aging. And there's over 100 types of dementia, one of which is Alzheimer's, which is a disease where our memory and our neurons and our brain is affected severely so that it actually does impair our ability to stay independent and live a functional life. So we have a thing called functional uh, cognition, which is that ability. Now, a lot of times if you have a good caretaker, they're kind of hiding that and they're taking care of you so you don't really realize it. I have people that come to me and we'll, we'll talk about this a little later that have no idea and don't want to even look at it. I have some people that are kind of recognizing it, but they're afraid to talk about it. I have people that are recognizing and want to come just talk about it a little bit. And Mm. then I have some people that know it 
maybe have had a diagnosis and say, I want to work on this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and that's again, a behavior change, a personality issue. And a lot of times fear is what stops us from getting the help that we need. And we need to start changing that. I think it's very important what you said to, to emphasize the fact that we all will have normal cognitive decline lapses in remembering things, but it doesn't mean that we have dementia just because we have those normal lapses or are forgetful for a moment. Can't remember a word, you know, and then after a while you, ah, I got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are normal things like that that happen. And, And we'll talk about specific issues, whether we're looking at the ability to pay attention and those type of things. Perfect. There's a term that's popular right now that we're learning more about, which is neuroplasticity. Can you define that for us and how our lifestyle choices impact neuroplasticity? Yeah. So what's interesting um, in any industry, I think, you know, sometimes we gravitate to something that's a hot topic. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times in the fitness industry, we throw that word around sort of frivolously. Oh, yeah, we're working on neuroplasticity where they may have you march in place and then. Uh, recite some numbers and then go back and and do it. Well, that's kind of like doing a bicep curl a couple of times and then circling back to it in a couple of weeks. We know that that is not enough and that's not really going to help the muscle grow. Okay. So neuroplasticity is the ability of the brain to actually change its structure, its function, its reorganization to be able to hold on to neurons that we have, uh, improve their ability to survive, to hold on to the synapses is the connection between those neurons, how information is passed on to make those synapses stronger, possibly to make them faster. The, The funny thing is people don't realize that, yeah, you can teach an old dog new tricks or an older adult brain can still create new neurons. The key is, can those neurons survive and be implemented into the brain system where we can use them? So we'll look at different kinds of exercises and things like that. So, and when we look at neuroplasticity, we have positive neuroplasticity, we have negative neuroplasticity. Cognition is somewhat fluid, maybe like blood pressure. What things might affect someone's blood pressure? Could be, gosh, going into the doctor's office, you get the white coat syndrome, Mm -hmm. stress, not having enough sleep, being dehydrated, et cetera, right? So the same thing sort of with our cognition on our brain. Sleep is, is a big one. So we talk about good sleep hygiene. And I'm sure you know, as I do, if we've been overworking and studying and things like that, we don't sleep well, we're just not sharp. Mm -hmm. Sometimes too much medication or things like that may be bad and slow that process down. But for people who do have disease, maybe have a lot of anxiety or paranoia, they need medication to bring those stress levels down, which might actually improve their neuroplasticity. So again, it's very fluid and it would change via the the patient and or the client. Mm -hmm. Other things, we need to be active. We need to move. And we're going to look at aerobic exercise. We know that as we age, we don't have as much blood flow to the brain. 
and we need that blood flow. It carries oxygen. Let's say if somebody has sleep apnea and they stop breathing, you know, one of my clients 19 times in a minute. So I think the cutoff is like seven times in a minute to be considered having an issue. So if they're stopping their breath 19 times a minute, what's happening to their oxygen flow to the brain? Hmm. The other thing is they need to exercise, which is a little bit different than activity because we need to get that blood flowing throughout the body and to the brain. Positive attitude. If we have a lot of negativity in our life, that's also going to prevent the brain from working properly. So we want positive attitude and stimuli, good stimuli to the brain. We know that there might have been a time where crossword puzzles and all these word games and things yes. were over touted. And there were things, yes. only, you know, I'm not mentioning any names, but there were programs where you could buy on the computer and oh, this, you know, helps your brain. Yes, it does to a point because we know that brain stimulation, cognitive work helps. We do know for a fact that exercise does help. So what we're saying is if we work in this very complex life where we have to pay attention and we have to process and move faster, doing a crossword puzzle may not actually help with functional or fundamental cognition to live in a very complex life. But we are seeing that if we do the exercise and we add that cognitive factor with the exercise, we're almost going to get a synergistic approach that's greater than the effect of the cognitive exercise by itself and the exercise by itself. So it's a bigger bang for the buck in the summation. So would you say that the example of moving and thinking and processing and being in the world versus sitting, for example, and doing a crossword puzzle, which I know you're not saying is a bad thing in and of itself, but the more we can mimic real life, the better off we are Yeah, because so, we're meant to move and we're yes, meant to think. Yes. You know, we have so many technical things that are done for us too, that you know, we're not putting the two back together like we probably did at one time in our lives. And we say that as we get older, people are like snowflakes. And somebody said, why? Because we're flaky and just no, because no two snowflakes are alike. So everything must be very unique and driven to the, we call them impairment factors of the client. And that's not only the physical aspects, but the mental and cognitive aspects. What are specific ways in which science has proven that exercising positively affects the brain? Well, you know, it's interesting. So aerobic exercise was the most researched activity for the brain because they did a lot of this on lab animals and rats and mice. And they would put them on those wheels, the running wheels. Sometimes it was voluntary. The mouse would go and just run on the wheel. And sometimes it was involuntary where they were forced to do the running. So none of them really got up to the super anaerobic level. So we look at moderate intensity aerobic exercise. Again, the most studied. But we'll talk about other forms of exercise as well. So it's kind of important to say, okay, why is this data out there? Maybe not because it's the only thing, it's, it's the most studied and, and researched. Mm 
So what we found is that when people do aerobic exercise, and this goes back to the fact that I talked about, hey, the brain's not getting enough blood. We know that as we get older, we get less blood and we get less formation of the vascular area. And there is a, a form of dementia called vascular dementia. Mm -hmm. which again, so we want to stimulate that. And one of the best ways to pump blood throughout the body, right, is aerobic exercise. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. to get that heart rate up. There, the regular recommendation for physical activity for aging and aging well is 150 minutes of some type of cardiovascular exercise a week. So mm -hmm. if you look at five days a week, you, that's 30 minutes. How many people are getting that? Probably not enough. So we always say what's good for the heart is good for the brain. And we found that aerobic exercise really does affect a part of the brain known as the hippocampus. It's in the, mm -hmm. the temporal side, the side of the brain. And that is the, the site of memory and learning and emotions. Mm -hmm. So we know through other studies, when you look at endorphins, aerobic exercise uh, helps bring down depression. It makes you feel better. And then, of course, if you feel better, you're less depressed, you want to do more. And it also creates something called BDNF, brain-derived neuro... Um, Neurotropic. Yes, neurotropic. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, see, I had one of those little cognitive That's moments. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I am 62 and uh -huh. feeling it at times, and I've been working and not sleeping a lot. Yes, neurofactors. Well, what does that do? Well, the interesting thing about that is it helps with neuron survival. Remember me talking about we can make the neurons, but are they surviving? Are they being implemented in the brain? And that is really important because it helps with growth and maturation and some implementation in the brain. The other thing that's interesting is the Alzheimer's Association, I think it was in 2014, you know, several years ago, said, hey, we're finding that if we can control or put or lower cardiovascular risk factors, we also see improvement in cognitive decline. So that would be diabetes, that would be high cholesterol, that would be um, hopefully not smoking, which is a vascular issue, which also comes with the improvement of how we feel about ourselves, right? Which we can get through the aerobic exercise and there's some of that behavior change. Uh, high blood pressure, all and obesity, having obesity. So all of these things affect the brain, which can also be helped through cardiovascular exercise. So there's a lot of this fluidity that goes between all these factors. The improvement of cognition by improving or de diminishing cardiovascular issues is that tied or is that surmised by the research to be tied to getting enough blood flow to the brain? Certainly. There's a why? lot there's a lot of that. Yes. That's a big factor. And as we age, we get less. And yes. so diminishing disease processes that weaken the heart and therefore diminish the blood flow to the brain is going to be more beneficial in the long run. Right. So when you go back to the positive neuroplasticity, being active. Mm-hmm. What about resistance training? So th that wasn't as highly studied, but yes, we're finding a, a couple of very interesting things with resistance training. So resistance training is thought in itself to be a cognitive exercise. And it was really weird because I had a client this morning 
And as we went through some strength training, she has a shoulder issue. So she has to think about shoulders down, not doing this, not rowing back too far, getting into the red zone with her shoulder. She says, wow, I really have to think when I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, you do, which is even better for your cognition. So it is in its way a cognitive physical movement pattern, which I think is very cool. It's one of the things I like about yoga, too, because it encourages not just mindlessly following along movements, but actually thinking about putting together the breath, the breathing, the movement and the sequence. Right. And just in sort of a kudos for like Tai Chi and Mm -hmm. yoga, even though some of them at certain levels may not get the heart rate up, it depends on what kind you do, of course. But yes, we call that effortful exercise or Mm -hmm. mindful exercise, Mm -hmm. which is very, very good for cognition. Perfect. Yeah. So you can definitely use that as a a selling tool, Miss Yogi MD. <laughs> yeah, love it. So it's, it's really cool when you see all these factors. The other thing is uh, we have IGF-1, and that is something that declines as we age, and we know that we see an increase in that with muscle work, and um, the decline has been correlated with more cognitive impairment. What is IGF-1? Um, it's insulin-like, um, insulin-like growth. growth factor one, okay. yeah, which is stimulated through resistance training. And we also find that the IGF-1 helps with protein synthesis, which is needed because we lose muscle mass as we age. It helps with insulin sensitivity. So if somebody is pre-diabetic or a type 2 diabetic where the cell is resistant to the insulin, uh, that helps with that. And it also helps with fat uptake. So again, now you're looking at obesity, you're looking at cardiovascular risk factors. So they all sort of tie in together. And, And we also say the better your health, probably the better your cognition. Now, there is some heredity that goes into that, but I think that's only listed as about 20 to 25 percent. So lifestyle is a much greater percent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very important point that your lifestyle maybe not necessarily completely trumps genetics, but we definitely have more of an influence over our health than we think by the choices we make. Right. So we can turn up and turn down our genetic factors through our lifestyle. How does our attention change as we age? And why is it important to pay attention to these changes? The ability to hold attention or having sustained attention is not really affected by aging. So the research shows. So if you've never been able to hold attention, certainly then maybe you'll just kind of stay the same and never be able to hold attention. So I think that's important to understand there, too. The other way is basically what we call selective attention. And uh, you're in a gym situation. They got music going. They got the TV going. You got people banging weights beside you. I have a lot of clients that have had strokes and other issues. Maybe they've got a lot of anxiety and those type of things. Okay, they're going to be affected 
by that. And so their attention is disrupted. But selective attention is slightly decreases as we age. The ability to multitask, to go from one attention to another or to do two things at once. So the cool part about multitasking is let's say I give you an exercise that you're doing something physically Mm -hmm. and then I give you something that has a cognition aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So not only are you doing the two things, you're really doing three things because you're dual tasking and actually doing a little bit of changing between your thought patterns to be able to keep up with all those. That moderately declines. And I know a lot of my clients tend to have falls because they can't pay attention to multiple things going on. So Mm -hmm. a lot of physicians will say, do not multitask. Well, if you don't multitask, you're probably not going to function in life because our lives are very multifaceted. However, maybe instead of doing the three or four things that you used to be able to do together when you were young, maybe you should bring it down to two, i.e. I had a client picking up a box, talking on a telephone like this, stepping over a lip that was at her front door. Yes, she didn't clear the lip and she fell. Mm, mm. Probably if she put the phone down, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just focused on the box and the movement pattern, she would have been fine, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. That makes total sense. Yeah. And then the last one is called switching attention, where you are doing so many things at once that you're actually switching that decreases the most. And that's sort of in that idea of the example that I gave you is doing too many things at once where you're having to switch that attention quickly. We look at four knobs uh, when we look at exercising and our processing. One is being a attention, which deals with all this. Two is the processing speed. So when we're younger, man, we can just move quick and think quick and remember things quickly. That processing speed slows down. But through specific practice, we can bring the processing speed up. But if you have too many variables there, things slow down. So it's a layering process and it has to be done specifically for the client. Doesn't it depend on the level of difficulty of the activities that you're partaking in? Doesn't that affect... Uh, your ability to switch quickly between, because if they're not as cognitively demanding, I can be boiling water to make tea and also have the laundry going in the machine and then going to start to make the bed. And those are low level cognitively demanding tasks that I can switch between more easily. But like you're saying with that example you gave, being on the phone at an awkward angle, she was outside, I assume. So. And the box was heavy. It was 25 pounds. And this woman is 92 years old. Yeah. And Not that's just too much. Factor, but for her, and she still thinks she's 20 because mm. she moves pretty fast. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot more to changes. process mm-hmm. there because you're outside. You have to pay attention to your surroundings. You're juggling your balance. You're focusing on picking up something that sounds like it might've been a little bit too heavy for her. So I guess what I'm saying is you've got to use your common sense to, and pay attention to what I can switch between more easily versus what doesn't make a lot of sense. So think about this. We know that we change some of our physical boundaries and limitations as we get older. Mm -hmm. We probably need to do the same with some of our 
cognitive ones for a safety factor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when you were talking about the laundry and the cooking and the bed making and all that, not only were they maybe cognitive, because those things almost become innate. They're almost ingrained in us and we don't have to think and process how to make a bed, right? Yes. So, but if it's a new thing, ooh, it takes a lot more energy to process. And the physical demand of those things were not great. So I can't take a client, give them this huge physical demand that they can't do normally Mm -hmm. or that's not, they don't understand it and then put a huge cognitive layer on top of it. That's why we layer slowly. Mm -hmm. It's like transparencies Mm -hmm. and we Mm -hmm. see if they fit. Mm -hmm. Now, let me kind of expand on that and talk about a little bit of guidelines. Okay. It has to be challenging. Maybe enough so that ooh, we're feeling a little cardio effect and ooh, I'm having to think and process. I don't necessarily have to have mastery because I do want it challenging. It's got to be somewhat fun and interesting or I'm not going to have as much attention. Yes. Right? Yes. But the other thing I need to look at is what's called a frustration factor. If I am too frustrated trying to think and do this, it is going to be negative neuroplasticity Mm. because it's just too much. And so now it's, it's going to make me worse than better. And and we also talk about overtraining for people as they get older and they have cognitive problems. Too much overtraining can actually be a negative neuroplasticity Mm. physiologically. So it's, it's a very uh, fragile balancing act for a good trainer that not only understands the physical aspects, but now layering these cognitive aspects on top. Are there guidelines on how often we should train in cognitive and physical exercises? Sure. So as I had mentioned earlier, I was talking about you can't march in place and just say some numbers and then a couple of weeks later do it again. People think, oh, I'm working on somebody's neuroplasticity. It takes time just as in building a muscle. You can't do a bicep curl a couple of times and two weeks later do it again and, and expect any results. So the brain is some part of the physical body, right? So we're recommending, you know, two to three times a week. I would, I would opt more for the more, t- more frequency. So I, I'm training several people three times a week, and I'm throwing the cognition in there in an hour workout, probably 40 to 45 minutes. So we know that 40 minutes is better than 20 minutes. And we know just like the physical body, it's going to take time. So research is showing maybe three to six months and you are going to start to see some changes. They may start to see some changes. So my gentleman, in about six months, he has noticed, oh my gosh, I remember words I couldn't. Um, People are saying he's more social. I think he has more self-confidence. He's more engaged in life. It's actually quite exciting. Can you walk us through an example or two of how you would work with a client? So research is showing just even with exercise, you know, we need to be doing some of these specificity things probably in our 50s. It doesn't have Mm -hmm. to wait till they're 90 Mm -hmm. because we know that cognitive decline and muscle decline and other things we said is a normal process. So wouldn't it be nice to stop it sooner than later? Okay. 
right? So I may ask somebody, whether I've been training them for a long time, because this is new to my industry, would you be interested in doing some cognition? And certainly I would educate them about the whys and the hows. Sometimes when I get an older client, I'll give you an example of a gentleman. It was my first time working with him. I had probably worked with him three or four times. I write up programs. So after I'd been working with the gentleman, I would say maybe four times, I said to myself, hmm, he's not remembering some of these things. After I explained it, very simple. I wrote it out on paper. He's not understanding this, even though when we were together, he seemed like he got it. This guy was a high power attorney in his youth. So it's Mm. not like he was a dumb guy. He was a very sharp guy, very powerful guy. He was a widow. So he didn't have anybody overseeing him. And after I would say a month's time, I definitely knew he was having not normal cognitive impairment. Because he was such a bright man, I knew that I could sit down and actually have a truthful discussion with him. And I let him know that I didn't know him well. I did not know that if his secretary did everything when he was younger, that he didn't really pay attention to small details, although I knew he was a very bright man. And so I wanted to explain to him what I observed. Would he like to hear it? So I always give them the option. So that's the behavior change and the coaching. Mm -hmm. And he said, yes, I want to know everything that you're seeing. And so I told him. That, you know, he wasn't remembering things, he would understand something, and yet the next time he wouldn't, would he be willing to go in to see a neurologist and have an evaluation? And he was, of course I would. So we set it up, and yeah, he had frontal lobe dementia. I think a diagnosis is important because then you you have power to know, how do I deal with this? Yes. Every person you have to handle differently as far as how you approach it. Mm-hmm. Back to the snowflake idea. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons that I am so successful and I have so many referrals is because, yeah, because I'm brutally honest, but I'm very kind and I try to change my uh, personality and verbiage with the readiness and the behavior change uh, where they are in that behavior change um, to deal with the client, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is important. So now let's get into the what. And as you and I had discussed earlier, it's going to be very different for each client. How fit are they? How much time? So logistics becomes a big one too. How much time do they have? Are they willing to do homework? Um, What kind of cognitive shape are they in and where are they? Is it normal? Is it slight decline? Is it moderate decline? Is it severe decline? Have they been labeled with dementia? Do they have Alzheimer's? So all of that is going to come into play. So the first thing, as we talked about, you want to look at some general fitness guidelines. Definitely the cardiovascular is important, as we've talked about. The strength training we're learning, wow, important. And and for many reasons as well is we we lose muscle mass and and we need it for function, et cetera. So you certainly want to incorporate those as well as any skills. So the Functional Aging Institute, one of the companies that I work for that has done an amazing job at breaking down impairment is they look at cardiovascular, they look at basically muscular strength, Mm -hmm. they look at cognition, they look at 
balance. They look at somebody's mobility. Mm -hmm. They look at somebody's neuromuscular. How does the brain work with the body? So there are six different areas. And then in each area, there's multiple areas. We call them impairment factors. So I'm pulling from all of those six domains and all of those little impairment factors as I begin to see them and bring them into the pie, adding the cognition, right? Okay. So let's say today we're going to work on cardiovascular exercise. That does not mean I'm going to put them on a treadmill necessarily. I might work on some skills, some balance, some dynamic balance, meaning moving, weight shifting, changing the center of gravity, Mm -hmm. which happens when I'm moving or reaching. Mm -hmm. So I might take a big ball and I might have them bouncing that ball Mm -hmm. forward and bouncing that ball backwards. Okay. All right. So that's going to bring up their cardiovascular because they're Mm -hmm. moving and pushing. So there's a little bit of power in there, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. we lose a lot of as we age. So for them, that might be hard enough. So first I have to see, can they do this? Is it safe? High benefit, low risk. All right. Now we're getting, and it's fun to them. Okay. Now they're having fun. All right. So this is going to work. Now I'm going to add some cognition to that. What if I made some kind of association? So they're switching in their brain. What if I said an even number, which means they have to bounce it in the right hand. Then I give them an odd number and they have to bounce it in the left hand. So that is a small layering. It's not too difficult or let's say shouldn't be, but I'm going to observe and find out. And I may ask them. You know, did that feel like exercise? Because if it's too easy and they're not getting exercise, then I'm not getting that benefit either. Certainly. Is it too hard? Were you too frustrated? Mm -hmm. No, that was pretty easy. And then I may switch numbers. Like I might get into the, you know, 99 or three. So the numbers begin to span bigger. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Now that was pretty easy. I'm going to make it harder. Mm -hmm, I'm going to layer it again. I'm going to throw some math in there getting into the executive function where they're having to reason and problem solve. So if the sum, and I may just start with additions, two plus two, four, that's an even number. So the answer says I must bounce in right hand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then I might throw in some subtraction, eight minus four. Oh, that's four. That's still an even number. I stay in my right hand. Then I want to work processing speed. Let's see if you can do that faster. So I'm going to be throwing those numbers at them faster. We have a thing called working memory. Working memory is I'm in the process of using this information right now, which over time can be stored as short-term memory and long-term memory. So in the working memory, I might um, give them two or three words depending on their cognition. Maybe that's an association. So maybe it would be animals. Maybe one would be cat, dog. Three would be harder, cat, dog, and I might throw something that's a little off, mouse. And then I have them memorize that. So I might say animals. So they have to repeat back, but I'm still doing the bouncing. Mm -hmm. And all of that, now I'm adding this whole nother working memory thing on top of it, which may be too much. If it's too much, then I'm going to get rid of the mathematics 
go back into even odd number bouncing and do some of the associations Then I might have different categories, jewelry, bracelet, necklace, ring, and then have them try to remember that. And then I go back and say animals or jewelry and they have to pull the working memory back up. And if giving them a number and having you think is too much on top of that, then I just may say, start in your right hand. All I'm going to do is say, switch, move the ball over to the other hand and do the reciting. So it all depends on the client. Now, as you were talking, because everyone learns things differently, maybe I need to take a very specific and very confident role in my learning. What I mean by this is, while you were describing those exercises, bouncing that ball, I am kinesthetic and visual learner. So because so much of what you're doing is auditory, so you're saying those words at me, it might help me as your client to repeat those out loud perfect, so that I can actually participate in it. Why not advocate for yourself and say, okay, I need to take a minute here and maybe, Diane, may I pause and repeat these words back to you as this, and then keep going with the exercise to diminish my frustration. And the other thing on that note, which is great, thank you for that, is people do learn differently. That's why I like to, number one, get them in the activity. And I tell them, look, you've got a learning curve. Right now we're in the learning process. This will come easier. And if they're a visual learner instead of an auditory learner, which a lot of people are, instead of saying right and left, I may just point Mm, in the direction mm, that mm -hmm. I want them to go. You with Mm -hmm. me? Yeah, Mm -hmm. or I'll have cue cards that I may flip up and I may switch between auditory, auditory and visual, which is another way of switching. Mm -hmm. And most people learn better when they repeat. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Absolutely. The other question I, I had while you were talking is how much does the client's social support come into this huge we talked about having that active lifestyle having that social interaction is imperative and i've been to a couple of aging seminars where people have done studies and have gone to people in nursing homes that were quite uh vivid in their youth and smart and um very social got put in a home, put in the corner, nobody talks to them, Mm. they're not having any activity. And so they did studies where they went in, they started talking to these people, they started bringing pictures from their youth. Oh, remember this and that. And these people came alive. Mm. So we know that that is a huge factor. So we need that social support, whether it's the trainer or the trainer needing to create a social support, which makes accountability and those type of things for the client. The other thing that I've also learned because I work with older clients as well is uh, the power of touch. Mm. Obviously with permission. We do. And, and, you know, research is showing that we need around seven hugs a day. Mm. 
for our hormones and all that positive psychology and those things that are important in cognition as well as aging mm-hmm. well. And mm-hmm. I would say even active people that are young probably don't even get seven hugs a day. That's why animals are so great and teachers are so mm-hmm. great. That's a good point. And, you know, as long as you have permission and there's no weird sexuality thing going on, hugs are great. I hug my clients all the time. I touch them all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we're humans Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we need that. Very important. Yeah. Very important. And encouraging. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. We touched upon a lot of great information. We did. Is there anything else you can think of that you might want to add that we might have left out? I think maybe I would just like to say to all your listeners, never be afraid to go gather information on your health. You're a lot smarter than you think. You know, we believe that you are your own best doctor. You know how you're supposed to feel, how you're supposed to think. And when there's something a little off, we know that knowledge is power and early prevention is super important. So even with the brain and cognition, you need to uh, be quick about it and get on it. And we always say it's never too late. However, it's never too early to get Mm. started. Mm. Yeah, even Mm -hmm. more important. So on the tail end of what you just said, How can someone find uh, a qualified trainer like you to help? You're right. There aren't many of us. This is a whole new subject matter. Mm -hmm. It's just now coming to fruition. However, we now have a certification program for trainers. So each client that has a trainer needs to tell their trainer they want them to go get the brain health trainer certification. It is through the Functional Aging Institute. So they can go online to functionalaginginstitute.com, look at the certifications, and you will see the brain health trainer. Yeah. Mm. I'm an A certified health coach as well, um, as you are. And I did the senior exercise specialist certification as well. And so this is something that I definitely want to add to my wheelhouse. Yes. And we are in the process right now because the Functional Aging Institute is a uh, educational partner with ACE. ACE should be coming up soon and offering the certification, which is I will definitely so look out for exciting. It. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm and if it doesn't happen it. soon enough, just go to FAI and, and, and do it that way. Okay. I yeah. will. Definitely. Super. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing to get this kind of information and other information out to people everywhere. We need you. Thank you so much. It is my passion. There's nothing else I can imagine doing. Yeah. So my final question, thank you so very much for everything that you've taught me today and my audience. What is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? To be healthy, there are three things that you need to have in your life. You need to have continual education because it's very stimulating. You need to be constantly inspired so that you have that curiosity to want to continue. And and you need to be empowered that or validated in some way that what you're doing is correct and that you can do the things that you want. And I think, again, 
being healthy mentally, physically, and spiritually and emotionally become very, very important. So when I went through my first life crises in my middle 30s, which is quite young, uh, I knew just sort of intuitively that my mental and emotional health was my greatest commodity. And if I did not have that, I was not going to age well. And I spent a lot of time doing some therapy and reading books and going to workshops. And I really um, just put myself on that pathway. And I'm telling you what, what a difference it has made in my life. And having a positive attitude and good humor will get you very far in life. Mm. Thank you for that. And thank you again for your kindness, your generosity with your time with us today. You are so welcome. And now it's time for practical tips. Ask your trainer about adding cognitive exercises to your routine. See your doctor to make sure you are keeping your heart and muscles healthy to optimize your brain health. Ask your doctor to assess your brain health, especially if you are concerned. And remember, as Diane says, it's never too late. However, it's never too early to get started. Thanks for being here. See you next time.